Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. We only have to stop for a moment to realize that one of the core requirements in life is the ability to communicate with others. And being able to speak properly and comfortably is one of those communication skills. Stuttering, or what is sometimes called stammering or disfluency, if untreated, can be a major handicap in many ways. Joining us is Dr. Lisa Scott, an assistant professor in the School of Communication Science and Disorders at Florida State University. Dr. Scott, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Most of us don't know that much about stuttering, though we can recognize it when we hear it. So let's start with a beginning point. Just how widespread is stuttering? Well, about three to four million Americans in the United States stutter. Best estimates are that about 20% of all children will go through a period of what we call normal non-fluency that typically takes place around the vocabulary burst, around age two or three, where all of a sudden kids go from being able to talk about a pet dog to that's a frou-frou dog or a girly dog or that's a police dog. And once they start to have all these different vocabulary options, lots of times that will literally be them thinking faster than they can talk. But for some children, even though it's it's fairly common in young children, for some children it, it persists on into later childhood and on into adulthood. But as I said, it's about three to four million Americans are stuttering right now. And you called it normal disfluency? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where kids will say things like, you know, hey, 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 mommy, where they might repeat typically whole words or maybe a few sounds. It doesn't usually last very long for lots of kids, but it's just a period that's very normal in development where their little bodies and their motor systems are trying to keep up with their vocabulary and syntactic structures or their grammar, and not everything is able to hang together at the same pace. And so you see just a little bit of that. But for most children, they they move through that phase very rapidly and very easily. And then for other children, they tend to develop a a bona fide stuttering problem. I've read that there are differences in gender and especially in the childhood language abilities that girls develop differently than than boys. Is my reading correct? Yes, it is correct. All communication disorders typically are noted more prevalently in boys than in girls. Language development tends to be slower with boys. Speech sound development tends to be slower. It just seems to be something that affects boys more frequently than girls. And stuttering is no different. Typically, age of onset for stuttering is around age three. And at that point in time, the ratio is about two boys for every girl. But by kindergarten, it's three boys for every girl. And by about fifth grade, now we're up to five boys for every girl. So it is very similar to language development or anything else where boys tend to be affected more. Do the boys and the girls both if I can use the phrase, grow out of it for those who grow out of it? Is that an equal success rate or evolution out of the stuttering problem? No, girls tend to be much more likely to grow out of it than boys. Do we have any idea why? That's interesting. No, there really isn't. When you look at genetic studies and things of that nature, there's some researchers, some theorists who believe that when you meet an adult female who stutters, she may be a subtype almost of people with the disorder because it's so unusual to meet adult women who stutter compared to, you know, meeting men who stutter. 
there's just so many more of them that some people are, are beginning to believe that it may be some sort of a genetic subtyping process. But we're not really sure right now why girls tend to be less affected and, and are able to grow out of it more easily. I think too many people have gotten the incorrect impression that stuttering comes from bad parenting or from some sort of psychological trauma. That seems not to be holding much water anymore, if I'm reading things yes, correctly. Yes, that is correct. There was a very famous researcher in stuttering back in the 30s and 40s who came up with a theory that stuttering was in the parent's ear and that there's been a long history of it's bad toilet training, it's bad discipline, it's psychological problems, the child's doing it for attention. And so for a long time, there's been this notion that it's a parenting issue and if parents just ignore it, it will go away. And that's absolutely false in terms of the fact there's nothing, there's never been one piece of research evidence that shows that parenting has anything to do with a child developing stuttering. And certainly how parents respond, just like with any childhood issue, how a parent responds will really facilitate how the child responds, but there's no evidence to show that parents are at fault. An interesting website, uh, make reference to it, it's called the Stuttering Foundation and the the web address is, it's one word, stutteringhelp, one word, stutteringhelp.org, has a number of things online about suggestions for parents of children who stutter so they can deal with the issues that you're now talking about. Yes, yes, it's a fabulous resource, and there are all kinds of things that parents can do to encourage their child to keep talking, and basically, especially with little ones, preschoolers, we really want them to know, you know what, it's no big deal to me. I'm not going to be worried about it, cause, and so you don't have to be worried about it because little ones at that age, they really take their cues from their families. And what we don't want is for kids to get the idea that what they're doing is wrong or scary or abnormal because then they will start reacting to it negatively. And the more extreme their reaction, the likelihood that they are to, you know, get physically tense in their little bodies and it just makes harder it makes it harder for speech to come out. So these are the emotional responses or effects of untreated stuttering. Yeah, I, I do believe pretty strongly and I think most clinicians and researchers would agree that for a fair number of people who grow up with stuttering, the longer you live with the problem, the more likely you are to see those negative emotional effects and kids will start to be teased. And having fluent speech is something that we all take for granted. You and I never have to think about when somebody asks our name, we just say our name. When we're introducing ourselves, we don't think a whole lot about, are we going to be able to say our name when having to do that, you know, under that time pressure. And so not being able to count on your voice and count on your words when you need them or want them, that can definitely develop some pretty negative emotional side effects. That's a very interesting concept because we do assume that we can say what we want to say as we want to say it. And people who stutter just don't have that ability. Right. I've worked with a number of clients, but I'm thinking about one right now, a young man that I just discharged from treatment. And he was a college, he's a college student. He just graduated. And for a long time, he would never order pepperoni pizza, even though that's his favorite type of pizza. But he had a really hard time saying the P. And so he would always order cheese pizza, even though he hated it. And, you know, as fluent speakers, we never think about not ordering a food because we can't say the word. And how humiliating that is for an adult who's perfectly intelligent, graduating from college with honors, to be eating pizza 
because that they don't like just because they can't say the name of the, the pizza that they do like. And so, again, it's, as a fluent speaker, we just have no idea how much we take for granted, I think. So what do we do when someone has a problem with a mild or severe stuttering? How do you treat it? So I, I know people have said that all they have to do is slow down and think about what they want to say and not be in such a hurry. To slow down and think about what you want to say, that tends to be advice that fluent speakers give to people who stutter because we trip over our words. And so the way that when we start to trip over our words or have difficulty saying something, that's the way we fix it. But for a person who stutters, that really is not always helpful advice because lots of times people who stutter are already speaking more slowly than average because they're very conscientious about how they're putting words together. There's a number of different approaches we can use in treatment, and it really sort of depends on the age of the person. We treat children differently than we treat adults typically. It also develops on or depends on how much shame or guilt or fear that they've developed associated with talking and with stuttering. Sometimes we take a very straight sort of speech restructuring approach where we really work on breath control and tension in the tongue and the lips and things of that nature where we're really trying to help them sort of motor program a little bit differently to make speech easier to come out. And then sometimes with some clients, we really work directly on speech fears first and helping them overcome some of those fears and being able to stutter openly. And then we might go towards an approach where we really try to build their fluency once they're just more confident about talking. So the speech fears part is almost a psychological component. And the other components, as I was listening to you, almost sounded as if it's a form of physical therapy. Yeah, I guess that would be true. We do the emotional component. Right now, it's very hot, a very hot topic in speech pathology to look at cognitive behavioral therapy for stuttering. There's a lot of folks who are doing work in that area right now. And then, yes, the, the speech restructuring is very much like a more physically-based therapy where we really we can work with folks on changing how they're speaking. So their rate of speech, their breath support, the tension in their articulators so that they are more able to consciously control that or try to manage with that. I don't know, and it may be because of my clinical skill, I, I can't think of a single time where I've helped a client work on some of those more physical techniques where they became a naturally fluent speaker. And I always try to liken that to if I tried to help you develop stuttering and I taught you how to stutter and asked you to do that all day, every day for the rest of your life, you probably would never become a stutterer because that's not how your body is set to make speech. But certainly there are lots of things we can do to make talking easier that, that are, I guess, a parallel to more of a physical therapy where you're practicing motions and, and exercises and things. You use the phrase, your body is set to make speech. That almost suggests a genetic component. About half of all children who stutter will have a relative who stutters, um, a family member. And so We've known for a while that, that there has to be a genetic component to stuttering simply because we do see it in families so often. Just in the last year, there was a study published by researchers at the National Institutes of Health. They've isolated a gene for stuttering that is true for about, I believe, 9% of all people who stutter. 
so it's not true. It doesn't explain it for everyone, but it's certainly a start. And I think within the next 10 to 15 years, I would anticipate that we're going to be able to have a cheek swab that we can do on newborns who have a family history of stuttering and look to see, are they at risk? Do they have that genetic risk factor? Fascinating. Very encouraging. It speaks to where we're going. Now, if it is a genetic problem, it turns out to be much more a neurological problem. Are there any medications available that can help with stuttering, or is that just not part of the um, inventory of treatments yet? That's the magic question. (laughs) There are a number of medications that have been trialed to treat stuttering, mostly anti-anxiety medications. They tried a number of different medications to address it, and the side effect profiles, for some, there was some improvement with speech, but the side effect profile was so negative that people decided they would rather stutter. Right now, there is a drug that is in phase three clinical trials called Pagaclone. They're having some pretty decent results. So the take-home message, so to speak, is that research is looking at a pharmacologic intervention, but it hasn't been perfected yet. That's correct. That's correct. Isn't it interesting that something that looks so behavioral for so many years and for which a lot of behavioral interventions do work, but it's looking as if there might be, and the key word still is might, there might be some neurologically treatable with a medication assistance in the treating of stuttering. Yes, that's How neat. true. And right now, I think that the state of the art thinking is that there's something relative to stuttering as far as the basal ganglia are concerned and Mm -hmm. that it may end up being a category of a movement disorder. There's a researcher at Purdue University named Ann Smith and she's having little kids, three and four-year-olds, come in and she has them do speech tasks, but she's also got them doing a clapping task where they imitate a clapping pattern. And she's looking at kids who stutter and kids who don't And what she's finding is the kids who stutter aren't significantly different in their ability to imitate the clap, but they have higher interclap variability. So their motor programming seems to be just slightly different, and it would point towards some sort of underlying neurological difference. And I think her research is fascinating because what it's showing is that even in a a non-speech task, we're seeing maybe some sort of neurological or physiological basis. And the drug therapies, I think, are promising. You know, right now they're only being trialed with adults, but I think they're really promising as far as being able to be an adjunct to speech therapy, much as treatments for depression or anxiety based both in talk therapy as well as in a pharmacological intervention. So things are clearly in a good research mode and are evolving, and and that's wonderful. Let's get back, though, to a very fundamental and simple question. When does a parent begin to worry that they need to consult the pediatrician or a speech therapist? What are the signs and symptoms that should trigger a phone call and a consultation? First of all, if there's any family history of stuttering, I think parents need to be a little more alert. Secondly, if the child starts stuttering after the age of three, and especially the later they start, the less likely it is that this is just something that's transient and will go away on its own. So we look at family history, we look at age at onset. They want to be listening for things that what we call the hallmark characteristic of early childhood stuttering is a part word repetition. So when kick, 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 
kids do that, that is atypical, and especially if they're doing that on three or more words out of every hundred words that they say. So if if you're hearing that a fair amount of the time, what 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 where they're part word repeating, those are some signs that are indicative that you may be looking at somebody who's in the beginning stages of stuttering. And generally, I think most speech therapists would say, we'll wait for maybe three to six months to see if some of that clears up on its own. But if it's gone on longer, six months or longer, then I think it's a wise idea for a parent to go ahead and ask their pediatrician about it or maybe contact their local school district because school districts are required to provide free screenings and parents can find out when the next screening date is. Generally, those are held monthly and take their child to a screening and have them, you know, have somebody listen to their kids. One of the benefits of the website, again, referring to the Stuttering Foundation, and once again, it's Stuttering Help, one word, stutteringhelp.org, is that they have some very specific recommendations for things that parents should look for. It's extremely helpful. Dr. Lisa Scott is an assistant professor in the School of Communication Science and Disorders at Florida State University. Enhancement of communication skills in young people as they grow into adulthood is one of the greatest, well, we'll use the word again, skills that we can give them. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure, and I really appreciate the focus on the topic. Thank you.